hour of the day. This evidently must be the Bible Belt. And we have come here to study the good word of the Lord. This will be our textbook here, and we will be enjoying it together. I am aware of the fact that there is much good already preceded my coming into this pulpit, and that will be the case uh, from now till the end, and that uh, my particular presentation will not be anything earth-shaking because that uh, it'll be watered down, equated with a tremendous amount of, lot of uh, other stuff that comes ahead. Mine might seem anticlimactic, in fact, and uh, just kind of like old hat. I'm just uh, an old country boy. I'm not uh, a smart man, and uh, I, uh, I'm just going to uh, go along through the word of the Lord. Now, we're going to get a real good bait of cornbread and peas uh, during this particular time. Nothing exotic and far out. Uh, just some of the good old-fashioned Word of the Lord and uh, good Bible living. Praise God. In fact, uh, for the whole series of studies that we'll be engaging in, we are going to caption it simply as harmonizing ourselves with Jesus Christ. I am so happy to come. I thank you, uh, Pastor, uh, for inviting me. I appreciate it so very, very much, Brother Cox, and uh, I'm glad to be here, along with all of the rest of you folks, and some of you I've been knowing so long. Brother Cooling said to me that he started to tell them that he heard me preach when he was just a little bitty boy, and I said that was uh, not necessary. Take one look at my face, and they could surmise that, that I've been around that long. You know, when you got a face that looks like it's worn out a couple of bodies, well, uh, they know that you've been here a while. Praise God. But we are here to lift up the name of the Lord and to exalt Him. And I feel the blessedness of God's Spirit here, and we are very thankful for His goodness. Let us lift our hands unto the Lord and worship Him. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you will remain standing. for just a bit. <clears throat> we will read the Word of the Lord. Bogalusa Bible Conference. I guess I've heard of this ever since, well, as far back as I can remember when I lived in Louisiana long ago. And it is as uh, <clears throat> uh, it really does symbolize Louisiana and Pentecost. It really does. It just goes with it. John chapter 15, harmonizing ourselves with Jesus Christ. And I would like for us to read together here from verse 1 through uh, verse 8. Shall we all read aloud? 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. You may be seated. Praise God. This is a part of the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed when he was on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They had come from the upper room and moved out into the crowded streets of Jerusalem that night, making their way down the hill and across Kidron Valley. And somewhere in the darkness with his feet planted on the pathway, he stopped, his disciples gathering about him. He spoke his last words, and here in John, he prayed a prayer. This uh, was inspired perhaps by uh, vine uh, dressings that were taken and thrown into the burning heaps of the Kidron Valley uh, or some other sight that he saw, that he and his disciples should be one, that the life that was in each disciple was in truth to be the life of Jesus Christ because no one can live the Christ life. No one has ever been able to live the Christ life. Only Christ can live the Christ life. He must live it in us and through us. And it is a particular attitude. It is a life, uh, an actual life. And it moves through us and uh, it uh, really evidences itself. Now, in the, the services here at this time each afternoon, I would hope to lift up Jesus in such a way that we can see what real New Testament Christianity was meant to be. Not religion, but an experience. Not something that was professed, but something that was actually experienced. A living thing that was tremendously personal to people. And I would like for us to discover together the end result of such a life. That it is not something beautiful that is to be inverted and enjoyed just simply ourselves. But it is to be, as, as is said here in this scripture, a very fruitful life, productive, that it does produce, that it leaves something in the world about it. Harmonizing ourselves with Jesus Christ. 
Now, it, uh, the song that the angel sung in the very beginning, I think, is quite instructive. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. And again, Jesus saying, My peace I leave with you, and my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Now, peace, another uh, wording for it, would simply be harmony, that there is no discard, but there is harmony. There is not the jargon, the discard, the breaking in continuity, but there is peace and there is harmony. Health in the body, of course, is nothing more than harmony in the body. The severe shaking of a chill, the rage of a hot fever, indicates that there is not harmony in the body, that there is a certain conflict that is going on in the body. When we are healthy in a spiritual sense, there is peace inside of us, as Brother Cooley was speaking here today. Knowing God, knowing ourselves, and moving out from that proposition because that we know the Lord and that we have harmonized ourselves with Him. The entire universe runs to the beat of certain principles, and all the galaxies which seem to hang upon nothing are balanced and counterbalanced by particular principles that are po strong and powerful and unbreakable. Those uh, uh, particular things also, uh, they, they come over into the spirit world. If I am productive, if I am happy, if I have happiness in my home, if my children are happy, if they have their heads up, if they're not sullen and mean and prone to cut on church seats and punch holes in bathroom uh, uh, walls and so on, it means that there is a certain harmony that flows in that particular lifestyle, that it is not broken with discard, not frustrated, but certain principles are observed. In short, it is what we are attempting to say. We have harmonized ourselves with Jesus Christ. Jesus had this to say. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is. He is the epitome of success as far as actual living is concerned. His way is the best way. It is. To live life the way that he exemplifies it, to have his attitude is to be right. Outside of that, we are unprincipled and we are living not according to the true principles of real life. He said, I am the life. And if we live any other way than what he has described to us, of course, there is a high measure of discord and conflict in our life. I uh, <coughs> sometime back had a, a, a point of conflict with uh, 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 some individuals, and it was a situation that uh, uh, could have been uh, quite uh, uh, turbulent. And uh, so after it was over, I never told my wife about it because uh, I did not want to bother her with it and, and so on. And so after some length of time passed by, by the quirk of circumstance, she found out about it, and she asked me about it. And then, of course, I told her what the situation was. And then she said, and I guess that you went in there and that you apologized and that you just uh, fell all over the floor and so on. 
And uh, I said, no, I don't think I fell in the floor. And I did apologize. And I said, there's something I tried to do. And she said, what was that? I said, I tried to be a Christian. Praise God. And I said, the bottom line is not to win a battle, but the bottom line is to win the war. Praise God. Could we say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. And I have observed even when it seems the most difficult that when I have harmonized myself with the principles of Jesus Christ, that it is the best way. Did not he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? His way is the best way. So, uh, first of all, in our approach, to this uh, particular kind of consideration here today, I want uh, for us to think about what the heart of Jesus Christ's ministry was. If we are going to uh, seek to harmonize ourselves with him, I'd like for us to look at the very heart of his ministry. What uh, he preached and the way he approached things, if I as a preacher... Uh, make the same approach, I've got to believe that it will work. I believe that Jesus Christ is smarter than I am. I believe that he knows more than I know. And I feel like that if I go his way, it's got to work. If I uh, pastor my church the way that he took care of his contact with people, that it's got to work. So, uh... <clears throat> 698 years are roughly around 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon the prophet Isaiah, and he foretold what Jesus would emphasize when he came to the world. And you will find that particular emphasis in uh, uh, the 61st chapter of Isaiah. And let's turn in our Bibles and look at it. The 61st chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 through 3. These are the things that he emphasized, or was to emphasize, the prophet said, when he would come. Now, the crowds came to him. He never did want for people. They came where he was. I want that. I love people. I like gobs of people. I like crowds of people. I, I find them very interesting. I love to be around people. I can't understand why anybody would get so carried away really going to a zoo. I'd rather go to an air terminal and watch the people. They are much more interesting than monkeys. And uh, they, they really are. They're intriguing things. Here they come, big ones and little ones, fat ones and skinny ones, old ones and young ones, and, and all different kinds, all up with their dispositions and so on. Now, these people came to the Lord. I want people to come where I pastor. I want people to come where I preach. I want that. Now, this was the heart of his ministry. I want to harmonize myself with that. I believe if I do, it will work. I believe it will. What did the prophet say would be his emphasis? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. There are 11 different things that the prophet said that Jesus would emphasize when he came. 11 different things. This would be the burden of his ministry. Young men that uh, work with me, I always refer them to this scripture. I ask them to write, uh, to read it and to write the 11 things down. And a man coming into our district, I always instruct the presbyters, have him call me. And I want to get in touch with him as soon as I can. And then I tell him, there are 11 things that Jesus Christ was to stress when he came. I would want to know, I would like to feel that the 11 things that Jesus Christ felt was important, that you will feel important as you pastor in our district, and that you will emphasize these particular things. I must believe that Jesus Christ is smarter than I am. I must believe that he is more experienced than I am. I must believe that his way is better than a way that I would choose myself. I want to harmonize myself with Jesus Christ. So it was that uh, when Jesus came and he went for the first time to the temple or to the little synagogue in Nazareth to preach his first sermon there, here was the hometown boy, as it were, made good. They had hoped that he would come, perhaps it inquired, uh, Mary, you think Jesus will come back and he'll preach to us? And Mary may have said, I think that he will. And then came the Sabbath and he was there. He knew everybody that lived in Nazareth. He knew the woman who had never been straight to see the stars and who had always looked at the litter on the ground. He knew the blind. He knew the sick. He knew the depressed. He knew the demon-possessed. And I could imagine that our Lord, when he was out there ministering, thought to himself, I, when I go back to Nazareth, I want to heal old Jim, perhaps, with a crooked back. I want to take care of, of Mrs. So-and-so uh, with the bad stomach. And I'd like to heal the blind man because he knew him all by name. That was his hometown. With full expectation of doing so, he came that morning and stood. And to preface a tremendous miracle-working episode that was sure to follow that day, he laid the groundwork. He chose as his text what the prophet said that he would do. And so in Luke, he, uh, he took his text, or he began his sermon, verse 17 of chapter 4. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they all bared him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is, is this not Joseph's son? And this statement began the, <clears throat> the surmisings that rose up like dark, dark waters of doubt in that place that day. Jealousy, because this, this kind of people were cheap, and they were mean, and they were clicky, and they were bitter, and they were vindictive. They were so, such a little small group and so mean until Pilate had to pass a special law against digging up the dead because they were grave robbers. And it became a famous saying, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And in that environment, mystery of mysteries, God chose that his son should come up in an environment like that where their knives were out and the stabbings in the back and the cruel things and all the dirty, filthy stuff that was said about Mary one could well imagine over a period of time and the dirty business deals that were palmed off on the carpenter and his shop as he supported Mary, his mother, and his half-brothers and so on. Jesus knew all about that. And so when he said, I'm here to do you good, Eleven things I would like to do for people because I love people. These people did not harmonize themselves with this kind of a ministry. Doubt entered in among them, and they began to uh, become jealous. And so he looked around. They marveled, and then after a while, he was the one that was marveling. He marveled at their unbelief. God, who was not surprised that bread dropped from his fingers like rain from heaven. God in flesh, who was not surprised that the waves lay down like a dog at his feet. God, who knew no surprises and with whom there are no accidents and no surprises at all. That day was surprised at the ability of people to stop him cold when they did not harmonize themselves with him. I feel a certain unction and a burden and a drive in this particular meeting. And I would not want to come here simply to get through a series of studies or try to impress somebody because I can't impress nobody. But I would come and hope somehow or other to touch God and you that a blessing should come forth. I would hope so, praise God. I would press upon myself all over again, and you too, friend, that if we can harmonize ourselves with God and be one with Him, the same life that is in Jesus Christ flowing through us, our problems will be solved the right way. And there will be fruit, and there will be happy families, and happy children, and happy churches, and there will be productivity, for He is the way, He is the truth, and he is the life. Let's all say Jesus. Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. Oh, praise God. Let's give him a hand today.
Glory. Hallelujah. These 11 things Jesus Christ came to emphasize. And this was the drive and the bent of the, his ministry. And it was what he, he wanted to do and he strove to do while he was here upon this uh, earth. All of these are positive things, and every one of them have to do with some good for people. All of them have to do with deliverance, for Jesus Christ came to set you and I free. That's right. Praise God. To liberate us, the things that bind, the dark cords of jealousies and hates and things that make us less a person that... that well, then we ought to be, then we are. God came to free us from those things, to bring to us a certain peace and where we can like ourselves and where we indeed love others and where there flows through our, our life a sweet symphony of song and a beauty and melody. And they take knowledge that we have been with Jesus. Praise God. For the same sap that is in the vine indeed is in the branch, and fruit is produced, and, and we are blessed of God, and indeed are also a blessing to other people. In the process of the ministry, Jesus sought to communicate uh, to people, and how was it that he communicated uh, with uh, people? He began at the point of their need, and he proceeded from the known to the unknown. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. He knew that this man knew something about fishing, and so he started at that particular point. The woman, she knew something about water. How many trips she had made to the well, of course, nobody knows. And so he could relate about, with her about living water and that there would come help to her. And so he met all of them at the point of their need. These particular 11 things that we just removed from the overhead here have to do with the needs of people because Jesus Christ loves people and he moves strongly and compassionately to meet the needs of people. I have observed as a pastor of the church, if I can conduct my ministry in such a way that it meets people at the point of their need and supplies that particular need in their life, they will come. They want to come. People came in the days of Jesus where he was because he met particular needs in their life. If I can have that same love for my fellow man, and that, that compassion that he had. Somehow or other, I feel like that, that I will spread a blessing out wherever I go and that my life can be a blessing because that this is Jesus' way of doing things, meeting people at the point of their need. When we demonstrate concern for the needs of people and we show that... Uh, we love them, and we have the attitude of Jesus. And the same sap that is in the vine indeed is in the branch. It is then that uh, there will be response. They care, and they wish to uh, be helped, and so they do respond, and they come where they feel like that uh, they will 
receive uh, help and uh, that relief will be offered to them. This is the criteria of uh, personal success, that we meet people at the point of their need. Now I want to make a little explanation here on two things. First, you see it on the transparency, and that's church. What I'm talking about right now, church, is simply a structure. I'm not talking about the body of Christ, which is uh, so very important. I'm simply talking about a system that a person can put together. Now, uh, when a person gets more interested in a particular function in a town and a system that is set up in a particular locality than they are in the, uh, uh, anything else, uh, and their first concern is to get into business, get into the church business, and get a church function going, and so on, and so that we'll have our youth meetings, and we will have our Sunday school, and we will have the functions and the uh, halibuts of a church, and, and, and this is the first concern. I want to tell you today, friend, there is a far cry from a function and from a real flowing of life. And there is a great big difference between a crowd of people and an actual bleeding, a breathing live church. Praise God. I've gone into places where there were a lot of bodies, but there was not much life. There was not much Jesus. I could look into quite a few faces, but I didn't sense anything. I didn't feel the throb of the Jesus life. I didn't feel something pulsing, live, and vibrant that says, come on in. We love you. We're here to set the captive free. We're here to open the prison to them that are bound. We are here to loose those that are bruised. Praise God. We are here for people's sake. Oh, I want to say so sincerely, friend, that when I do the ministry of Jesus and stress the things that he stressed, it seems to work. When I harmonize myself with him, for he indeed is the way, the truth, and the life. Praise God. Now, why would this be seem to be important? And it seems such a such a inconsequential thing, you know? And uh uh I don't have my glorified body yet, and I would like to uh uh, you know, appear brilliant and smart, you know, even though I'm not, and uh, so on. So a little hesitant just to take just such a simple path as I am pursuing and will be pursuing here. But uh, folks, uh, uh, you know, God has dealt with me for some time along this line. When I came to pastor the church that I presently pastor, I, was, I wanted to be in harmony with the Lord. And so I went down and uh, ahead of my family, and I took a week, went into the church, and I shut myself there. I rolled out a uh, sleeping bag before the altar, and I put my Bible on the altar, and I stayed there uh, for a week. And I never left that building, and I sought God. And it was during that time that the Lord impressed me that he wished me to raise up a body of believers in that town that really did know Jesus. And that if they really did know Jesus and that his life flowed through them, 
that there would be no question of productivity. For if the same spirit, the same sap that is in the vine flows out also through the branches, there'll be fruit on the end of the branch. And it'll be the fruit of the spirit and not simply the fruit of some good rearing or personal discipline or something of that nature. And so I said, all right, Lord. And I began to turn in that direction to follow that. And then it was impressed on me, if I am to teach people Jesus, I must know him too. And I appreciated so much the teaching of Brother Cooling here today about really knowing the Lord. And, well, that involved prayer. It involved more than prayer. It involved reading over and over again Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then going back and starting all over again and reading it on my knees, having my Bible with me when I prayed, and trying to say it the way Jesus said it, and letting his life be my life, and so on. And I really tried to acquaint them with the Lord. We often say in the church, this is a Jesus church, and this is a people church. And we repeat it over and over because that was what seemed important. People and Jesus. Is there anything more important than that? People and Jesus. Praise God. Let's all say that together. People and Jesus. Let's say it again. People and Jesus. Let's say it again. People and Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I have... I, I know that, uh, that what I speak about is indeed important. So it's not just simply a church function that we want. If we drive toward a function alone, we will get bodies and we will get some change and some conformity and we will have a function and we can put together a system. And if we're not lazy and if we'll work hard at it, we can get quite a few bodies in there and uh, that we can count. And that gets to be really important sometimes. I uh, was asked to talk one time about uh, why it was that, that uh, many ministers' children uh, did not live for the Lord. And so at that time, my oldest son, Terry, was on the field, and I knew that he was in quite a few ministers' homes. And I said to him one day, I said, Terry, why is it that um, many ministers or some preacher's children do not live for the Lord? Terry's always been kind of like an old man, and he's got a droll, slow way of making approach to anything. Well, Dad, he said, you know, in our district paper, we got room for lots of things, he said and said, we got a place for <clears throat> ladies' auxiliary, got a place for the youth department, and we got a place for this, and then said, we got a place for the Sunday school, and we put in there how many we had in Sunday school. And everybody likes to be a success. And the Sunday school number is uh, one of the marks of success, and so we like to put and post a good number. But he said, if you notice, said there's no place in there where in the district paper where you can ever see anything, whether all the preacher's children are living for God or not. And said, uh, it is the criteria of success. And how many had in Sunday school? And he said, Dad, said I've heard you say it, 
that God comes first and that the church comes second and that the family comes third. And he said, we have always believed that. But he said to me, he said, I'm sorry, Dad, but I don't believe that no more. He said, I believe that God comes first, the family comes second, and the church comes third, and so on. He said, uh, I, that's, that's what I've come to see. And uh, so, he said, people reaching for that which would recommend their ministry among their peers dwell upon that thing which seems to be a, a measure of success. And they put that out there and so on. So we're talking right now about just simply a church function, a system. And we can get that together. Uh, and, and uh, there is good to that. There can be good associated with a church structure and with a, uh, a church assembly. Certainly there is. You can have a, a Sunday school and the kids need to be taught. There can be music and people need a place to uh, minister. And some people minister in song and that's great. And of course the structure of it. Here's another place for people to minister. And then the standard of lifestyle that is set in the church, that some things go and some things don't go. Some things please God, things don't please God. That's fine. That goes with the church structure. And we thank God for it, and that's fine. But uh, that, is, uh, that is not perhaps the most important thing. We, uh, we may consider a uh, mission. And uh, now I'd like to make, a, uh, uh, make the second uh, explanation here. And that is the difference between church and mission. Now when we talk about mission right now, I'm not talking about home missions or foreign missions. I am talking about that certain sense of obligation and compulsion that rises up out of the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. That he saved me and I in turn am obligated to carry this to somebody else. And that I am a person that God knew before I was ever conceived in my mother's womb. The Bible said that you were foreknown before the foundation of the world. Everybody that sits to my right, everybody that sits to my left today, you are people laden with destiny, and it is not an accident that you are here today. If you think maybe that is true, that it's just uh, one of those chanceful things, where's the folks that you went to grade school with and to high school with? And some of them were raised in the same town you were, and there was a Pentecostal church there. Why is it that you are here today and they're not here? God knew you before the world came to be, and he knew if you had an opportunity to give your heart to God, you would. And he saw to it that you had that chance. And you are here today as a special person unto him. Yes, you are. And so there is a certain compulsion, an obligation, a duty, a mission, a sense of mission that should grip the body of believers. The sense of mission is a fair far cry between the structure and the mere function of a church system and a sense of mission and life that goes with that church that makes it more than just a gathering of people. It's lots more than that. It works uh, this way, and uh, <clears throat> that is that uh, mission 
was exactly what Jesus Christ came with. He came on a mission. And then when he left, he gave us the commission. And, of course, the mission is we assume responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. The commission is that we do it as a partner with Jesus Christ. You will find the wording or the contract of the commission in Matthew 28, 19. And again, Paul said, For we are workers together with him. Ye are God's husbandry, and ye are God's building. Every one of us our own mission, but not by ourselves. It is a commission thing. And there is a vast difference between a people that gather for church function and a group of people that come uh, alive and vibrantly co-gathered uh, with Jesus Christ so that they are one with Him. Let's all say, with Him. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Praise God. One with Him, harmonize with Him. The life that is in the vine indeed in the branches so that the life of Christ is harmonized in our lives and we are one with Him. The church was to rise out to grow up out of this particular commission and it was to grow up out of it very naturally and uh, so that it was a product of living life. Many home missionaries are beginning to catch on to this. And I'm increasingly running into men opening works that one of the things they absolutely don't want at the start is a structure because then they, they have to serve the structure. If they call themselves a structured church, an organized church right off, this means uh, that they're supposed to have a superintendent. They're supposed to have a song leader. They're supposed to have this. They're supposed to have that. And then the qualifications of these people is the next uh, thing in question. And so it goes that they become hampered by it. But the way that the Lord did, he moved to meet the needs of people and they were central stage. They were the most important thing. It was mission. It was helping them. It was setting the captive free. I was talking with a man not long ago. He wanted to go to a place and open a church and uh, a lot of ability, tremendous minister, great preacher. And uh, so he said, I would like to have a certain number of people with me when I go. Well, I don't blame him. If I were going, uh, I would too. And so I don't uh, fault him in any way in making a statement like that. And uh, uh, so, but uh, he said, do you think that uh, you could uh, share uh, uh, some folks with me? I said, who did you have in mind? And he said, well, I'd like if you would give me this uh, such and such couple, and if you would give me such and such couple, and then if you'd give me this couple, and if I had those three couples, uh, I, I wouldn't be afraid, and I could get going, and, and he told how that he planned to do it, and, and so on. And so I listened for a while. And then in time, uh, this is what I said. I said, you know what you're doing? And he said, what? I said, I think you're afraid of people, and, and you're, 
you are still going to want to hide behind the pulpit. And if you can get your little group to preach for too, you will continue doing what you're good at. And you're good at preaching. But I said, I want to tell you, if you have a church, it's going to have to come out of here. And it, you're going to have to get out there where people are. And you're going to have to love them and take time with them and sit down with them. And you're going to have to give some of yourself away. And it's going to go that way. You're, you feel safe and secure behind the pulpit. But uh, that's not always the way it's done. And then I said, I've got to say this to you too. And I said, you know I'm your friend. And you know I love you. But I said, I'm not sure that I would want to take these people and give them to you and you pastor them. And he said, why? He said, I said, there's twice today since I've been talking to you that you have talked to me about two head-ons that you had. One of them was with a preacher and the other was with a saint. And you have told me how that you felt about such and such thing and that you wouldn't take it and so on. And you have uh, made some statements here. And I said, now wait. I said, these are my children. And I love them. And so on. And I said, I, if, if I submitted them to you, I would want them bruised up. I would not want them hurt. I would want them taken good care of. I would not want you to hurt them in any way. Because I, they'd come back to me and they would say, What's wrong, Pastor? You said so and so. And you sent us and you recommended him. And now, look, man, we are staggered. We are bruised. And, and, and we come back in need of healing and so on. And so, it is possible to have a function without the flow of real, actual Christ's life. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so, uh, Jesus tried to impress the, the natural thing here. And he said first it is the blade, then the stalk, and then it's the full-grown corn in the ear. If I minister the ministry of Christ, if I have the attitude that he's got, if I emphasize what he emphasized, which was people-centered, he came to the bruised, he came to the hurt, he came, he cared, he came with compassion, and the Bible said, God is love. Let's all say that together. God is love. Let's say it again. God is love. Say it again. God is love. Harmonizing ourselves with Jesus Christ. Praise God. So, uh, the, the church will grow naturally. And the scripture said, unless God builds the house... They labor in vain that build it. And this is the reason why that the ministry came before the church. The, uh, the ministry of the New Testament did not come up out of a church that uh, was already established. The ministry existed before the church ever came into existence. The Lord had called twelve and chose them. And God sits in the church 
and it is a gift, a, a gift, a conglomerate gift that comes down to the church. There are the gifts of the Spirit, and then there is the gift of a fivefold ministry that is given to the church, and that is right, and that is correct. I remember one time a church, a particular place, and there was two churches in uh, <clears throat> uh, same town. The uh, the uh, one of them was a split from the uh, other church, and had gone over and uh, uh, got into uh, operation, and uh, they were blessed by good ministry, and and so the church began to grow. And uh, in fact, the one that split off from the original church outgrew the original church. The original church was left with a tremendous residue of hatred, of bitterness, of suspicion, ill will, and unacceptance. And so they were saddled with that so that it stymied the true flow of God's Spirit and true life. I would submit to you today, my friend, that any time that we separate ourselves from the principles of Jesus Christ and that we go it our way in something that is not the principles of Jesus Christ. We cannot expect the life flow to be there with it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, it, uh, the, the church that divided itself and went, it, it grew for a while, it, well, for some time, and was fine. It had some of the greatest and the finest ministers in the Pentecostal movement minister there. Grew and did great and went along fine. Everything was great. But after some long period of time, that church that outgrew the mother church, it, uh, there was a certain smugness and pride that entered into that particular assembly. It had fine choirs, it had fine orchestras, it had fine departments, it had fine Sunday school, it had a fine name, it had a fine reputation. And when it was rich and increased of good, it surmised it had need of nothing and did not know that it had decayed, uh, it had decayed and become wretched and poor and miserable and blind and did not recognize that. And so there was a judgment that came. And uh, that church went through a metamorphosis, and, and it fell to the ground, and uh, it died as a church. And then later came back again, the second time, as a mission. You know what? I fear God. The Lord can get along without me. He can get along without the group of people that I pastor. I am concerned about the attitude of the people that I pastor. I can sense when there is a certain smugness and pride and meanness about them. I feel it. I can read it on their faces. I, I, I sense that thing. And I know, I know that this is not the life that is in the true vine. I know that it is not the peace that Jesus Christ came to the world to give. And so that bothers me when I see that. And the drive of my ministry is Jesus at the center. His attitude. How would he feel? What would he say? 
What would his reaction be? What would he do about it? And I have always observed, if I apply the principles of Christ, it always works. I'm 60 years old. I've been ministering a long time. I have seen more than one instance where a, uh, if a church lost the mission drive and was only content to be a function, that they lost the real life that's supposed to be there. Let's pray. Oh, precious God. Hallelujah. Dear Lord, in Jesus' name, speak unto us, O oh God. Speak unto us, O oh God. Speak unto us, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Praise God. The greatest thing that characterized Christ's ministry, of course, was compassion. And we're talking about his attributes and uh, the way he felt toward people. The church has its greatest influence today when it shows this kind of love. And uh, the pastor does his greatest work in pastoring a church when he has taught his people to think and feel and act like caring Christians or believers. And when they show forth the likeness of Christ, there's no certain true or stable success in any church until it has committed itself to the meeting of human needs. The sinner knows whether he is wanted for his body or whether he is wanted for his very life's sake. The sinner knows whether he's being used or whether he's being blessed and helped. Praise God. Churches that are willing to become missions always succeed. They stay alive and they grow. Because the very life of Christ is in them and it is exemplified. Churches that are willing to die as a church and be born again. They have a viable and wonderful existence. The most important question that faces any church is where are the deepest needs of people? And because this concerned Jesus, it ought to concern us too. Because I am called to preach to meet the needs of people. God called me not for personal exaltation or grandizement, but he called me to be a servant and to give myself for the needs of a lost world. Praise God. I don't know what the best way it is to get a sermon and uh, 
there's just so many things I don't know. But uh, I know that church I pastor now, I pastor it differently than any church that I've ever pastored before. I'm gone most of the time. I'm only there for church services, and I miss a lot of them. Yet, in spite of that, God has blessed, the church has tripled, and God's been good to us, and we're still growing. Our crowd was, could hardly get in the auditorium last night. But uh, I don't visit my people. I tell them, if you have a need, I'm as close as your phone. I'll step all night with you. But uh, I'll come where the need is. I have lots to do. And I'll, I'm busy. You're part of my business. If you need me, call me. And I'll be there. Praise God. But I try when I come to them to come with them to them with all of my heart. And getting a message or sermon, I don't know how the best way it is, but I know something that seems to work for me. And I try to pray for my people every day. I usually start with the old people in the church. And I name them. And every one of them I can think of, phrases like, Lord, come to their side. Their steps are growing slow, and they've come to the lonely time of life. Comfort them, assure them, protect them. Don't let them fall down. Lord, help them. I come to the working man on the job, and I know where most of the fellows work, the kind of work to do, and I ask God to protect them from accident. And I know that some of them are having problems with their bosses. Some of them are not treated as they ought to be treated on their jobs. And I talk to God about that. And I pray for the working women. I pray for the woman that the family doesn't have a second car and they're struggling to make ends meet. And they've got several children, one right after another, and she's shut up all day with them. She pays the bills. And I see her as she begins to write those checks for those uh, utilities and so on. And she's hoping there's going to be a little something left this month, you know. But maybe the lights was higher than usual or something else happened. And maybe there's two or three bills that have to be set aside. And she's so depressed. The kids are screaming and jumping on the couch and fighting. And she can't go nowhere. And I pray for her. And I go to the kids in school, and uh, I pray for them. And I try in spirit to come to the side of, in prayer every day of every one of them. And as I feature them and image their faces, there are particular scriptures that come to me that have to do with conditions that these people are passing through. I write them down. And uh, I put them there. And the thoughts that come to me in the process of praying. So that when I come to teach, to preach, this is what I use. And I like a portable mic to move among the people. And I like to touch them with my hand. And I like to talk to them. 
I like to look at them in the face. I like for them to get the idea that he's not trying to preach a pretty sermon, that he is attempting to tell me something and minister to me. It's not function, but mission. Praise God. And there's something at the heart of it. And not getting through a particular church service. Listen to me carefully. I sense deep inside of me. In this day and time. And I've been around quite a long while. And I pastored my first church when I was 17 years old. But I sense deep inside of me. That God is attempting to make things more real to us than ever before. To come off a particular function and performance and merely getting through church services, but reaching in vital hunger after the living Christ. And as your district secretary said, that I may know him. I want him. I want to be one with him. I want the life of Christ to shine through me. I want to harmonize myself with Him. Praise God. Let's pray. The heart of Jesus' ministry. So it's well that these 11 things that Jesus was to emphasize, that I attempt to emphasize also. And our greatest desire ought to be that we would uh, succeed as a co-missionary with Jesus Christ. We are labors together with Him. And Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, people are filled with gloom today over tragedies. Many of them that have not happened yet. They have needs Sometimes they speak about them. Lots of times they say nothing about them. But we're talking about building the kingdom of God and people coming to the Lord. They come where their needs are supplied and where something happens to them that helps them and lifts them. And I'm going to be talking to you here in the afternoons about some of those deep psychological needs that may be present in some of you people that are attending this Bible school. I'm going to come close to you. And some of you folks may be uncomfortable. We're not here to make you uncomfortable. But before this particular evening session is through and through this, before this week is out, I'd like, if the Lord leads, to take charge with you over some particular areas in your life, in prayer, and with the laying on of hands. God does not want me nor you to be subservient to some negative, non-growth, non-Christ-like situation in our life.
He came to set the captive free. I know what it is to be bound with hate. I know what it is to attempt to kill. I know what it is to, to be driven by negative factors and to be so miserable and so on with it. The Lord does not want that for me and He doesn't want it for you. There's victory in Jesus. There is victory in Jesus. So, and the survival of people many times depends upon hope. A person can live 40 days without food, three without water, 36 hours without sleep, nine minutes without oxygen, and they say 30 seconds. If you have absolutely no hope, you die. If there's absolutely no hope, you die. Is there any record in the Bible where Jesus came and talked to a sinner? that he told that particular sinner how bad he was and he said you are a low down scoundrel and you are not fit to breathe the bread of life breathe the breath of life and you are so horrible have you found one incident in all the life of Christ that he made that particular approach toward a sinner it seemed that the ministry of Jesus he came to people bruised and battered in prison, incarcerated by bruises, and he came to give them hope. Now, I wouldn't want you to mistake me today to say that we should gloss over sin and gloss over wrong, and that we should compromise, and that we should count that which is uh, unclean as clean, and so on. I'm not saying that. Many of the people, most of the people that come to the Lord know that they are unworthy, that they are a sinner, and that they need God. Most often when Jesus confronted a sinner, he told them that there was a better day coming and that there was a better way to live. And he gave them this thing that is known as hope. Let's all say hope. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Hope! Yes, thank God. I can be different from this. I don't have to live this way. There's a better way to live than this. A happier life than this. Now, before we're through this week, this primary, juvenile kind of a Bible lesson that we're embarking on here, if you'll just stay with me, you'll see the worth of it. It has its, its productivity find the end result spinning on out there in, in homes. And some of you folks here, you've got teenagers at your house. And some of you have children younger than that. And you want them to have a good marriage. And that all starts. When does that marriage start? It starts when that child was fed us in your womb before it was ever born, the attitude that you had before your child was born, the attitude that that child has been exposed to all of its life, and so on. That's the building of its marriage. 
For marriages are no better than the people that comprise them. And there is absolutely no way to improve a marriage without improving people. And I remember one time pastoring a family. This family was... I won the man to the Lord. They had moved into the city where I was. The mother was faithful to come to church. She brought her children. And in time, those children were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the dad came into the church, and he was faithful. He was there early. He was a prayer warrior. He did everything that he could do in the church. The children had the sourest, meanest, bitterest, sarcastic attitude of any children that I have ever met in my life. Every time that they were in a Sunday school class and were escalated to another they set about to humiliate that Sunday school teacher and to destroy the effectiveness of that Sunday school class. They had such a scowl on their faces, and some of them had pretty faces, but they ruined it with such a nasty attitude. And uh, so one of the girls is graduating. We told her, we'll be at your graduation the family was our friends. They loved us, and we loved them. One-on-one -on -one basis, great. But when authority figures came into the picture, they dedicated themselves to destroy or to humiliate whoever was in authority. And I told my wife, I said, where are those kids getting that from? I said, brother and sister, so-and-so seem to be such fine people. And those kids are mean. And where is that horrible attitude coming from? So I was talking to one of the girls, and she was graduating. And I said, well, you're going to graduate now. What, uh, what do you want to do? She said, well, I'd like to get married. And we were sitting at uh, our kitchen table. I said, you want to get married? I said, what kind of man you want? And she said, I want a man that's handsome. I want a man that makes lots of money. I want a man that's good to me. And she named off a lot of, of stipulations. And uh, she really had uh, she, she had her goals set high. And uh, so I listened to all of that. And then when she finished, I said, And what is it that you plan on giving this man in return for all of this that you have named off? And what are you going to contribute now? Well, and she hadn't thought about that. And I said, let's put it this way. You marry such a man, and you have been married for some long length of time. And finally, it's a Saturday morning. He's not working today. You and he are having a leisure breakfast together. The house is quiet. Kids are not up yet. And you have the whole morning to yourself, and you sit there and you're sitting in on the last cup of coffee. And uh, so you, you, be, you grow very personal with one another. And you finally ask him, Hey, what was it about me that turned you on and made you love me the way that you love me? And he'd say, Well, I'm going to have to level with you. I just tell you, the thing that really made my heart turn flip-flops was that 
beautiful sneer that you always had. And it was that horrible, uh, that tremendous uh, uh, sarcasm that you were capable of. And you had such a unique way of cutting people to pieces. And I just couldn't resist it. I just fell in love with you. Where in the world were those kids getting that jock? I wondered. And then one day I sat in the hospital with a mother. She had relatives being operated on. I wanted to make a church contact. I was there to pray with this relative before the operation, and I waited during the operation. No one but the mother and myself in the waiting room and we were talking about the goodness of the Lord, and I expressed my appreciation. I said, your husband has been such a blessing to me. He's been such a help, and he's so faithful. I, I appreciate him so much, and at once I felt a coldness rise. And she looked out, and she said, I said, he's a fine man. Yes, she said, I guess maybe he is. Now, and I, something rang a bell inside. I said, I might be fixing to discover something. And I said, what do you mean now? And she said, you don't know much about us, really. My husband was a drunkard. He beat me. My kids went without proper clothes to go to school. We went without enough food. And that went on for years, and I didn't know when he was ever going to come back when he left. And I put up with it and said, uh, for years I put up with it. And there was flashing fire in her eyes. And when she finished, I said, you haven't forgiven him, have you? She was quiet for a while. She smoothed the wrinkles out of the dress on her lap. And she says, no, I don't guess I have. Next time that I spoke to my wife, I said, I know where it's coming from. Because it's coming right out of the inside of that mother. She had not harmonized herself with Jesus Christ. That which was flowing out of her was not the life of Christ. In the 12th chapter of Hebrews, Paul said, Lest there be any root of bitterness springing up, many be defiled. Praise God. So the marriages that I want for my children, the marriages that you want for your children, many of those things are going to be determined by what kind of a life and motivation that flows through each of us today. Oh, I would press upon you, and I will, throughout this particular series of studies. We're talking about the very laws of life that nobody can circumvert. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. John 5, 15, 5. If you will just abide in me, and I will abide in you, you will bring forth fruit. It'll be all right. Everything will be fine. Praise God. Praise God.
Well, God fixed us to where we can change. He gave human beings the ability to change. But when people change, unless there is a higher power involved, they tend to adjust downward. That was made as a statement in one particular place, and then there was a correction made, a wise reply, and that is adjustment is always uh, downward. It is always downward. Upward movement is never an adjustment. It is always a commitment. I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to be better. So foot washing service was over New Year's Eve, and we had taken the Lord's Supper a few days ago. We were headed home. The lady folks in another part of the building had washed one another's feet. We believe in the washing of one another's feet. The reference to the Lord's Supper is perpendicular. Show forth His death unto His come. It was no accident that He instituted the foot washing because this had reference to the one that stood among them with a dirty basin of water and a damp towel and said, He that is graced among you, let him be the servant of all. This is a lateral relationship. For every great truth has an outward visible point of reference. The foot washing drives home that particular truth. That's got to be in the church if the church is to be alive and strong and viable. That we're servants. That we submit ourselves one to another. Basically, the congregation I pastor is an old congregation. It has people in it that uh, have been in the church a long time. If a church goes a long while, it's not unusual for people sometimes to bring the same motivations and lifestyles into that particular assembly that they traffic with out in the world. And they claim certain turfs and so on in a particular assembly. And then they set up defenses to defend it. And this belongs to me. So in order that we get this servant thing in the church and keep it there, I find myself telling my congregation over and over, nobody owns anything here. Nobody. I don't own anything here. My wife and myself are breaking our backs for you. We're pouring out our time, but this is not our church. When we leave, we won't take one of these pews with us. We won't take the piano with us. We are doing it for you. We're your servant. We own nothing. You own nothing. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. For whatsoever is done, whether it be in word or deed, is to be unto Him. Let's all say Christ at the center. Christ at the center. Let's say it again. Christ at the center. Let's say it again. Christ at the center. Harmonizing ourselves with Him, who made of Himself no reputation, is made in the form of a servant. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, that night, 
as we were driving on, that dear, precious wife of mine, now has put up with so much. I don't see how she puts up with me. I married her on Sunday. I left her on Friday. And uh, it's been that way all the time. And she labors and she goes and she's and we're still sweethearts. But riding along, we're holding hands. I like to hold my wife's hand. I love her. She is my sweetheart. She squeezed my hand and she says, Sweetheart, I want you to pray for me. I said, what about? And she said, well, there's a particular situation in my life, she said, and she named it. And she said, you know, I have had problems with that this year. And uh, she said, I've got to overcome that. And I want to overcome that. And she said, by God's help this year, I'm going to put that out of my life. Praise God. Here is a woman that sacrificed and sacrificed, and she's had the Holy Ghost since she was seven years old, and but here still reaching and still pulling and still striving. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody here today who somehow or other deep inside of you has got this smug attitude. Oh, I've been around so long that I don't need nothing. I've grown all I intend to grow. I don't intend to improve. I'm just me. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. You know what? I'm going to live every day that I live. Oh, yes. I'm going to grow. I'm going to reach. I'm going to try to improve. I'm going to love. I'm going to lift up, look up, and laugh, and love, and lift. Just last week, I was talking to a man who told me a little situation he had. Had a confrontation with another individual. And he said... I told him, thus and so, brother, you said so and so. Now look, it's this way, so and so. And then he said this. And he said then we had to come back two or three times and talk about it. He said, you know, never has been quite the same. Said he finally did what he agreed to do and so on, but said, huh. said, you know, he it's Things are cool between us and all. I sat there. It was quiet. And he said, finally, he said, what, uh, well, what do you think? Think I did the right thing? I says, no. I said, you made yourself an enemy. And I never had an enemy yet that ever did me any good. 
every enemy I ever had, I'd been better off without him. And it's better not to make them. Now, that's horse sense, you see. You don't have to have a college education to arrive at a deduction like that. Praise God. Man, I, I want to be free. What I love. I love people. I just plain like them. Praise God. And I want everybody to love me. Not everybody does. And I just can't understand why. <laughs> Praise God. When I first went to pastor the church that I'm pastoring now, like I say, it's an older church. Some people have been at 30, 40, so on years. And people are either growing people, healthy people that sloughs off sickness, puts it and casts it out of their spiritual system, and goes on with it. Or get, they get these maladies and weak spots and sick places in their life. And they're stunted. And it's there. And this is why that some people's prayer life stops. Because it stops at a particular level. They should have outgrown a particular thing, and they didn't. And then, every time they pray, they come back to that particular spot. So they quit praying. Sin will either get rid of prayer, or prayer will get rid of sin. They don't go together. So, uh, the first Sunday that I was there... now. Never been around that church all that much, and I, I didn't know but about four people in the church, see? And uh, never had lived in the city before. Never had done nobody any wrong. Nobody. Just never had been around. But the first Sunday school lesson I taught, I looked back, and sitting back in my class, there was two women sitting beside one another, and they were talking behind their hands, and they would make sly remarks, some of the things I was teaching, and then they'd get their elbows going. And uh, <clears throat> so I thought, well, what's going on here? I don't know these ladies. I don't even know their name. And they're trying to put me down. And uh, I don't know nothing about them. What's going on here? Well... I would come around and uh, try to speak to the, everybody, you know. I tell the folks that I work with, look, don't come rushing into church so late or just barely on time. Get there early enough and shake hands with the people. Stay with the people. Be around. Praise God. Friend, we're the last to leave that building. If they want to stay all night, we'll stay all night with them. 
I'm not going to be running around all over the country just visiting, you know. But, friend, if you've got something to talk about, I'm here. I'll talk till daylight. Praise God. I'm here to help you. Could we say praise the Lord? So, uh, I found out in the weeks later, sometimes I've come and I would, you know, invite Passing among people before church and after church, put out my hand. Sometimes they'd shake hands with me, and sometimes they wouldn't. They just now I didn't even know I didn't even know where they live, and never had met them before, you know. And I was trying to meet them now, see. And uh, I know what the world's going on here, but it happened. That Way back somewhere, there'd been some kind of a problem, some kind of confrontation in their life. And they had not dispelled that thing and got rid of it. And it colored their entire personality. And it made them and their personality extremely ugly. Very ugly. When they could have been beautiful. Wonderful. What did I do? Well, I wanted to do this the Jesus way. And Jesus says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Praise God. And so I just prayed for him. Every day I prayed for him. And I was always kind, always nice. Sometimes they'd shake hands with me. Sometimes they would. Just, I just loved them and loved them and loved them and nice and then one of the women quit sitting by the other. She moved somewhere else. And then she began to listen to the lesson. And actually found some of the things I was saying interesting. And uh, began to hook on to them. And the other sat there alone. And sometimes she'd shake hands with me and sometimes she wouldn't. And then one day I was teaching my Sunday school class. And I'd been there for some time. And uh, right in the middle of my Sunday school class, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon me. And I began to weep. And I felt such great tides of love begin to flow. Now let me stop right there and say this, my friend. The Jesus that I know today is a winner. His love is stronger than the guns of Napoleon. It's stronger than death. Oh, friend, there is nothing that can stand against love. His way is the best way. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. If I can't live it out His way, I don't want no part of it. I'm insecure. I don't know my way alone, but He is the way. And I felt such a tremendous move of love without anything in plan and just moving, doing what the Spirit said that day. I just worshiping God, weeping, presence of God moving, other people weeping, reaching after God. And... Uh, I came around to everybody. I took their hand. I laid my left hand right over it. And I said, I took their hand. This young lady, she took her hand. 
she held on to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, uh, I laid the other right over top of it, and I looked right into their eye, and this is what I said. I said, I love you, and I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. And I pass on to the next, the same thing. And just as it were in the midst of a surging river of spirit and love, I moved without any plan that day among the people. And uh, suddenly... I looked through my tear-blurred eyes and I was standing beside this lady. And uh, I put out my hand. She was sitting there, her arms crossed, looking straight ahead. How miserable she had been for so long. There is no joy in hate. There is no peace in a life like that. None. And I didn't know whether she'd take my hand or not. I just prayed. I said, oh God, let her take my hand. She looked at me. Her arms still crossed. I looked full in her face. She saw absolutely nothing in my life. Nothing in my heart but love. I didn't play her game. I did not tit for tat. You kill my dog, I kill you again. I didn't do it. And then she reached over and laid her hand in mine. I never was as glad to get anybody's hand in my life as hers. My fingers closed around her hand and I laid my other one on top of it. And I said, I love you. I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. When the impact of God's Spirit surged through me into her, to her, she jerked her hand back. For a moment, my heart sank. She leaped up. And I wondered, what is she going to do? And she let out one of those hideous screams that I ever heard in my life. And she turned, and she fell headlong, flat on her face, between the seats. And her body was shook and racked with the most bitter sobbing that I've ever heard in my life. I hurried around. I went to the other end so that I could approach her from the direction her head was turned. And I got down on my knees, and I laid, and I cradled her head in my hands. And I dropped my tears in her hair. And I prayed to God for her deliverance. And God delivered her. Praise God. She's my friend. Harmonizing ourselves with Jesus Christ. The sap that is in the vine, also in the branch. Jesus Christ can do anything. When I am in harmony with Him, I have nothing to fear. 
And the problem is no longer mine. It's His. And I don't need to worry about it. I want to be talking to you about deliverance from some, in some of these areas of life and why it is so important that deliverance come in some of these areas of life. Because into the school, there may be people who will come that are so bound in particular areas of life. And we want to talk about that.